Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. You know, Grant, there was a touching story the other day in the Dallas Morning News. Did you see it? It was about the last surviving speaker of the Wichita language. We hear news reports all the time about how there are some, what, 7,000 languages spoken in the world today, but some of those languages are dying off at the rate of about one a week. And I think that story really brings home that idea in a really visceral way. I've tried to figure out why it bothers me so much that the languages are disappearing. I think the key part of it for me, Martha, is that I still believe that each word is a, is a totem of sorts. There's a something totem. A totem. Yeah, it, it represents a, a, a kind of power. It, 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 like I think about the Amazon jungle. I think about this, this beautiful resource that might be filled with medicine. We don't know what these plants will do for us until we try them. Mm-hmm. And it's being destroyed slowly. Mm-hmm. And I think about the languages is the same way that they might actually have medicine for our minds. They might have the cures for our existential ills. I mean, I don't want to sound too poserish about it, but there might be ideas there about why we're here right. and why we are the way we are, and we might be losing those ideas. Right. It's it's a way of wrapping your arms around the world. Right. Definitely. And and speaking of, there there is a new movie out called The Linguist in which uh, it's a documentary in which they follow around a, a pair of linguists who are who are trying to document those languages. I saw the trailer for that. It looks very interesting. I have yet to go see it in the theater, but maybe I'll take the wife and the boy and we'll go. Well, if you'd like to find out more about that film or you'd like to read that story about the Wichita language, you'll find links at our website. The address is words at waywardradio.org. And if you'd like to talk about any language, living or dead, call us. The number is one 929 9673 or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. My name is Holly. Hello. Who is this? Oh, hi, Holly. Hi, hi. I'm calling from Indianapolis. All right. Yeah. And I was actually calling um, about my incredible hatred, incredible aversion to the word. I can't even say it. Can I spell it? (laughs) Wait, you can't say it? Ooh. I really, really can't. What is I, it? I will if you will say it with me. Uh, Let me spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say this on the radio? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's not, oh, okay, it's okay. not an obscene word at all. Okay. It makes my flesh crawl. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. Ready? M-O-I-S-T. Moist? Oh, Moist? my Lord. Grant, please. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this word so much. Oh, oh Holly. Um, but <laughs> what do you mean you hate it? I cannot explain to you. I and and I tell you, this is an aversion I have had my entire life long. But Holly, moist. Yes. Mo- yes. I mean, the, uh, shall I just call it the M word? I mean, yes, because I don't yes. want to upset In you. In my home, my wonderful children. They either call it lotion or emurizer. My partner Tom thought that he could desensitize me to the word by using it as often as possible. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? Moist, 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 Oh, moist, no, please. Moist. Oh, Martha, <laughs> you're killing me. When you me. get a bucket of chicken from KFC and it comes with the little lemon-scented towelettes, what do you call those? Just towelettes? I call them towelettes, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and going down uh, the shampoo aisle, 
uh, or or what I love to do is bake. You know, at, at my job, oh, um, sure. at every job I've had, I've always been the birthday cake baker. I, you know, I'm I've, I'm a mom. It's just what I do. Right. And it is horrifying because I guarantee, I know going in when I bring that cake in that someone is going to come up to me and say, "Oh, Holly, this cake is so very M." <laughs> but let me tell you where you can find out more about this, and you'll find that there is a community of people like you. Believe oh, it or not alone anymore. Believe it or not, there is a Facebook group. No. Yes, there is a Facebook group. I uh, hate the word moist. No. That's what it's called. And there's a there's like I, I the last time I checked it, there were over a hundred people that were in the group. What? I, I am astonished. Well, Holly, do you feel better having come out of the moist closet on national radio? I do. I feel as though I am not alone. No. Uh, as well, though, you know, that, that, I'm, that there are other people. And when I get off the phone with you, mm-hmm. I am going online and finding yep. people. Yep. <laughs> yep. Go straight to Facebook and then find your brothers and your sisters. <laughs> I All will. Right. I will. I will. I feel, I feel relieved. Keep up the wonderful work. And thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, you Holly. Take care of yourself. It was <laughs> nice to hear you. from you. Wonderful. Thank you bye-bye. so much. All right. Martha. Bye-bye. Bye now. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I can go get my psychotherapy degree now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe there's a whole Facebook group of people who hate oh, the word Oh, no. Moist. And this isn't a new phenomenon. It's not like world? it just burst on the scene. Mark Lieberman and the gang at Language Log, who, who again, I'm giving them all due credit for this because uh, they, they did the legwork on it and – this the list of stuff that and it's not just these words that we, there's many more of these words that people just it's real it's not a stunt they're not performing for people to say oh yeah wacky me i've got a word that drives me crazy they are really bothered by these words and one of the guys on language log one of the linguists there compared it to synesthesia do you know this word oh sure when people taste the man who tasted shapes right right or or you hear a sound and see a color exactly. stuff like that exactly. like that so your your most your your senses are a little bit intertwined in a way that most people's are not. How and, weird. And I don't know if that's the same thing, but it does remind me of that. Well, Holly, cover your ears. What do you guys think about moist? Give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673, or let's talk about it on our discussion forum. That's at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Of course, you can always send us an email anytime, day or night. We read everything. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, hello, this is Andrew calling from Golden Hills, San Diego. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. What's going on? What a mellifluous voice. Oh, thanks. I have a question for you. Um, this is about an expression that I keep hearing uh, a lot recently, or I've, I've heard a lot recently, and it's something like X is the new Y. Mm-hmm. For, for example, uh, I, I saw it at my uh, health club. Um, there was a, an ad for the personal trainers, or it said something like 40 is the new 30. Um, I've also seen things like uh, the blog is the new resume recently <laughs> I online. I heard that one. <laughs> and, and, it, and it seems to be something, meaning like um, kind of uh, out with the old and with the new or, there, you know, something is replacing something else. And the first time that I heard this was back in 2007 with uh, my, my now ex-girlfriend dragged me to see the movie Josie and the Pussycats. Is that why she's your ex? <laughs> Yes. Wait, the, oh, movie, the movie came out in 2007? <laughs> and what was it exactly that was said in that movie, Andrew? It was, well, they were trying to, like, brainwash uh, the generation of kids, and so they were trying to say, they're, like, subliminal messages or something, so they're trying to get you to buy something, and then they would say, well, now pink is the new red or something like that, so that mm. you have to buy these new products. So mm-hmm. I think that was the expression, pink is the new red or something like that. Oh, really? <laughs> Well, you're right to describe it in terms of uh, X is the new Y. That's the way linguists often talk about it. But, yeah, you see this construction again and again. Thursday is the new Friday. Knitting is the new yoga. I think I think when you're talking about uh, color, I, I think it did arise in the fashion world as far as we know because I know that linguists have traced this or that color being the new black back to the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. And uh, before that, um, Grant, your colleague Ben Zimmer, traced the idea – um, of one color replacing another back to the early 1960s when fashion designer Diana Vreeland was running around saying, what did, what did she say? Pink is the navy blue of India. Right, but it wasn't quite the same construction. It wasn't quite the X is the new no, Y. No, but it was that same idea. 
I didn't realize it went back that far, though. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I thought it, it started crazy? with Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> no, no, no. The, not not cultural innovators. The Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> mm. Well, how have we done? Have we helped? Oh yeah. I mean, it's uh, you gave me some more info. So basically, it goes back to like the the seventies or eighties, maybe. Yeah, the, the the exact formula we're talking about, but the idea of of one color being the new something else is is older than that. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for your call, sir. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. If you'd like to talk with us, give us a call. The number's 1-877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Julie from La Mesa. What's up? What's going on? Well, not much. I'm hoping you guys can help me out. My uncle asked me a question that I didn't know the answer to, and I, but I told him that I knew who I thought could help us out. The question that he actually asked me was, um, he's been hearing people use the word kumbaya on media recently mm-hmm. and you know we both know the song kumbaya mm-hmm. but um it you know he really wasn't sure what people are meaning when they're using kumbaya now what the colloquial meaning of, of it has come to be mm-hmm. julie i suspect that the context in which your uncle is hearing this is probably in a sarcastic usage ah, do you okay. think that's the case uh, that's possible the way that our society has has developed i would imagine that in the media yes because um when you and i were growing up it was this really earnest, sweet song that had African roots, and we would all sing it very earnestly, right? Uh-huh, exactly. And uh, it's over time, it's come to be this sort of cliché, kind of saccharine song that uh, a lot of conservative talk show hosts have picked up on that. In fact, if you go to rightwingstuff.com, uh-huh. you'll find that you can buy T-shirts that feature a cartoon of a drill sergeant, and the drill sergeant is grabbing a uh, long-haired peace protester by the neck and saying, Kiss my kumbaya, hippie! (laughs) (laughs) Not the happy song we used to sing at campfires. No, no, and it's kind of sad because, I mean, it's it's a beautiful song that people can harmonize really beautifully on, but but it's, it's really become a kind of caricature of itself. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely a term that's used because you can just use that word and you evoke all these accurate or not stereotypes about the 60s and 70s as right. a wide-eyed, naive period right, of exactly. moon gazing. <laughs> exactly. And, and you'll find it actually as early as the late 1970s, uh, early 1980s, showing up in newspapers using exactly the same way that's being used today. Frankly, if you go to Google News right now and just look the word kumbaya up, more than half of the mentions are exactly what we're talking about. They're not about the song. They're about painting somebody as being overly idealistic, about being overly liberal or granola, crunchy mm-hmm. types. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Just completely innocent about the world. Right. right. Sort of naive. Yeah. Or, or, well, so there's also a, there's an element there of, of the people who are singing Kumbaya are singing to drown out the noises of the real world, as if they're mm-hmm. covering up the actual world's problems. Okay. So, Julie, right. can we have a group hug before you go? <laughs> oh, definitely, please. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, my question for you, Julie, is do you think that music and love can actually solve the world's problems? Wow, I think that it would be, need to be a pretty amazing musical number. All right, well, Kumbaya is not doing it. So maybe instead of rehabilitating Kumbaya, we should find a new one. <laughs> Let's work on that one. All, All right. right. Thanks Thank for calling, you for your Julie. Call, Julie. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Anyway, if you'd like to reach your hands across the water and give us a call, the number is 1-877-929-9673, or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Someone's crying, Lord, Coming up, it's a visit from one of our quiz guys, and we'll take more of your calls. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett, and we're joined again by our quiz guy, Greg Pliska. Hiya, Greg. Hiya, Martha. Hello, Greg. How are things going? Groovy. Well? I feel like I'm I'm here to be your cultural maven. This is true. Because I I would like us to look today at one of the greatest artists in human history, William Snakespeare. Uh Huh? Snakespeare? <laughs> Snakespeare. Snakespeare. You may remember him from the past. He's the author of a series of plays whose titles are just one letter different 
from those of the better-known William Shakespeare. Oh, right. Plays mm-hmm. like Romeo and Joliet, the great prison drama, and uh, <laughs> King Liar about when Pinocchio <laughs> divides his land up among his daughters. Those plays. Right, oh, right, right. Oh, dear. Yeah. Well, I have just recently learned that Snakespeare is also the creator of a number of great films, each of which is just one letter different from a better-known movie. Oh, mm-hmm. is that right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Hard to believe, but true. If I told you, for example, that Snakespeare created a film about an alien creature who attempts to phone home but instead gets the company computer support department, what do you <laughs> guess that film's title would be? I thought he was going to phone the emergency room. Yeah, the, no, it's a different yeah, – yeah, right. that's good. Very good. IT phone home. Uh, yeah. Right, IT phone home. IT, the extraterrestrial. Right. Which, all right. So if all this makes sense, then I think we can we can take a look at the, the list of great movies by William Snakespeare. I'll give you a description of the film, and then you just give me the title. Okay. okay. So here's your first one. A small-town Kansas girl and her dog are swept to a strange land by a tornado, finding themselves hanging out with a bunch of teens in Southern California. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) That's really good. I'd like to see that movie. The Wizard of O.C. The Wizard of O.C., (laughs) exactly. Um, Here's a movie you might remember. Um, In this movie, Hawkeye Pierce and B.J. Honeycutt's madcap Korean War adventures – um, teaching arithmetic in a small village. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> sure, math. Math, of course. <laughs> instead of mash. Instead of mash. That's good. And uh, while we're on the war subject, this Vietnam movie anticipates the end of the world, but it doesn't actually happen, dude. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Is that the movie that we're no? no. <laughs> you said, "Dude, oh, no, fast times at Ridgemont anyway, High." That's where I was going. No, that's too long. Uh, I'll, I'll, let me give you the clue again. Wayne's War. No, listen, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, this Vietnam movie anticipates the end of the world, but it doesn't actually happen, dude. Apocalypse. Yeah, no. I was going to say. Apocalypse <laughs> not. New, Apocalypse... Apocalypse not. Apocalypse not. not. Apocalypse not. <laughs> oh, <there we> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Apocalypse no. That would be eliminating one letter in now. Concrete block to bang my head against. Oh, very good. Uh, here's one I'm sure you saw and loved. Hannibal Lecter is driven crazy by very quiet lighting equipment. <laughs> That little fluorescent light bulb hum. Yeah. Hum. Very quiet. Very the quiet. silence of the lamps. <laughs> yes. Got it. Silence of the lamps instead of <laughs> silence of the lambs. And here's, here's an appropriate one for Snakespeare. In this musical adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, a bird delivers a baby to a young couple in the midst of a New York gang warfare. Whoa. Oh, baby! Do I have it? I think I have it. Well, let me turn on my ESP link and find out. <laughs> How about Love Stork? <laughs> that's that's almost redundant. Love Stork. Let me let me read the clue again. Bad, Is that though. wrong? That's not, Love Stork? that's not the one I'm thinking. No, this. Oh, you're to, kidding! I no. thought I was right. I don't, know, no. I don't know this plot at all. I don't. Know. Oh, you know this no. plot? A baby in a gang war. What? Well, part of the West Side Story? West Side Stork? West Side Stork. (laughs) Exactly. I don't know. In this musical adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. We're the Jets. We don't do that. We don't do that. All right. Here's here's another one perfect for, for our show. Spooky film about a young boy who not only sees dead people, but who saw them, is seeing them, had seen them, would see them, and will have seen them. Six tenths. Yes, six tenths. Oh man! Exactly. I had to go look up some tenses. I didn't know there were more than just three. Yeah, it depends what language. Oh well, of course it depends on what language. But English, we have all that would see and would have seen. Yeah, enough. Would have like been seen. I see transitives. <laughs> oh man! How about one more, Greg? One more, sure. In this musical version of *The Merchant of Venice*. Shylock demands that Antonio sing Edelweiss and My Favorite Things as repayment for a loan. The Pound of Music? <laughs> the Pound of Music. Oh, wow! The hills are alive with the Pound of <laughs> exactly. Music. Exactly. So instead of just 
instead of the sound of music, where you can hear songs like My Favorite Things. How do you solve a problem or like Nicholas that. How do you make a quiz that's really hard? <laughs> yes, next oh, time man. Grant sings your favorite songs from musical theater. Greg, this was tremendous fun. I want to thank you again for a great puzzle. It is my pleasure. Greg, you get two thumbs up from us. Oh, what are you going to do with the other two thumbs <laughs> between you? Uh, well, I'll be sitting on my thumbs, hanging by my thumbs. Oh, and if you'd like to let your fingers do the walking and give us a call, the number's 1-877-929-9673. Or send us your candidates for Snakespeare titles. The discussion forum can be found at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. This is Sherry from Tempe, Arizona. Hello, Sherry. What's going on? Well, I need a little bit of dating advice. (gasps) Dating advice? Oh, yes, please. And you're asking us? Yep, yep. Why? Because I met a man. He's a doctor, so I'm assuming that he's Mm well-educated. Mm-hmm. I'm liking this so far. Well, when we talked about where we'd meet for the first time... I suggested an espresso shop near us, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, that sounds good. An espresso shop sounds like a good idea. Wow. Uh, it, you said espresso with an X. That's what he said. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and you and could... <laughs> my teeth gritted and my ears burned, and I thought, well, okay, we'll give it a try. <laughs> so I met him, and we... Talked for about two hours, had a great time, mm-hmm. but I'm really worried. What other words are he, he going to come up with later on? <laughs> I dated a man once who said simular and mandatory, and I sure don't want to run into that again. Oh, no. Oh, man. I mean, if our president says nuclear, what, oh, what could a doctor say? <laughs> So I don't know. Should I keep dating this guy or just wait for someone else who knows how to speak English? Sherry, what kind of doctor is he? He's a GP. Does that make a difference? Well, you you never know, actually. But I'm wondering if there was a way I could gently correct him. Boy, now that is a toughie, isn't it? Do you have a relationship yet? Have you gone on other dates? No, just the one time. Well, but Grant, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Sherry, from my point of view, if I had to wake up in the morning and hear somebody say, I brought you some espresso before I ever even, yeah, see, <laughs> see, before I ever even had that first drop of caffeine. Oh my gosh. No wonder it's could... hard to meet a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could handle it. I, I think, I think this is, you know, like Barney Fife said, you have to nip it in the bud. Right. Oh, I don't know. You know, here's the thing. It was one date anyway. Right, that's true. Yeah, but... There's a lot of different ways to approach it, but here's what I would propose. Go on two more dates with the guy. Okay. Go to an espresso restaurant and at least one of them. Find a way to get this word to come up and find a way to tell him what you think about it. Joking or non-joking. And see how he reacts. You know, it's entirely possible. This is a great test to find out if he's the kind of guy who will actually, actually listen to an important woman in his life. Oh. If he's willing to listen to you and say, oh, you know what? I never thought about that. But you're right. It doesn't make any sense that's, that I said X when it should be an S. You know, Maybe this he, is, yeah. yeah. You this might is... find out new things about the guy where he, you're like, oh, here's a man I can work with. What do you think? I think that next, t- next date is at an Italian restaurant, and I will clearly order a cup of espresso with dessert. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all right. Thank you for your call, Sherry. Best of luck on your date. Do yeah, any, let us email us. Let goes. us know how it turns out. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you know. All I right. Bye bye. Ooh, boy, that's a tough one. No, but she's got a good point there. I mean, I guess the whole show, Sex in the City, was about this. It was about setting your standards so high and trying to look for that person who meets your your criteria on every level that sometimes you kind of exclude people who are really great but have a couple things that aren't quite right that you could probably live with if only you tried. Grant, I didn't know you were an SATC fan. Well, you know, I used to read Candace Bushnell's column before they ever started the television show. <laughs> she did. Yeah. All right. Well, if you have a story for Lex in the City, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org.
Martha, at the beginning of the show, we were talking about dying languages. A few years ago, Jack Hitt wrote about dying languages in the New York Times. I think it was in 2003. Oh, I remember and one of the things story, he yeah. described in that article, and it was beautifully written, yeah. was the last speaker hustle. Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember the story. It had great photographs with it, but I don't remember that uh, particular it did. part. What he calls the last speaker hustle is this thing where you'll go as a tourist or even as an investigator or a professional linguist or somebody who studies these sorts of things to a remote place and they'll trot out this one person who supposedly is the last speaker of a specific language and, mm-hmm. you know, you'll get all excited and you'll take pictures and take notes and get out your tape recorder and stuff only to find out that there's somebody two huts away who speaks the same language. <laughs> But the best story that Jack Hitt wrote about was Red Thundercloud. He supposedly was the last Catawba speaker. But in reality, his name was Cromwell Ashby Hawkins West. Oh, no. He was the son of an African-American druggist in Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, supposedly he was a great mimic and a fast learner. He <laughs> he mastered the language. He was not a member of the tribe at all. Mastered the language, put on some turquoise jewelry, and until 1996, he went around hawking this product called Red Thunderclouds Acabonic Princess American Indian Tea, which was, <laughs> quote, fresh from the American forest to you. So the last speaker hustle. <laughs> Well, you got to make a living somehow, right? <laughs> right. Anyway, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, And you can call us anytime, day or night. We have voicemail and we listen to everything. You can also send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. And you can try our discussion forum on our website at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello, Martha. Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Brian. Hi, Brian. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from San Diego. Ruby. All right. What's going on? Well, my question is about the use of the word tertiary. Tertiary. T-E-R-T-I-A-R-Y? Correct. Okay. Um, I was at work. Um, we were handing out job assignments, and there's a girl who works for me who's, uh, who's from England originally. And when I put out the top jobs for the day, she asked about something I hadn't mentioned. I said, don't worry about it. It's a tertiary concern right now. And she looked at me as if she'd never heard the word before. Um, she looked it up, and then I guess the textbook definition is that it's the third in rank or value. Mm-hmm. And I guess in my mind, if something is of tertiary concern, it's kind of a back burner item or, uh, or off in the periphery. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if it's not primary or even secondary, it's a tertiary concern. Am I, am I using that word correctly? Well, you're right that it doesn't jibe with what the dictionaries have to say, but I think that your explanation makes perfect sense. I think if you'd explained it to her, did you, you explained it, and she, did she understand it? Yes, but you know, she was going by the textbook definition, and I was just going by the way I'd always interpreted the word to mean. Hmm. I think your context is fine. I mean, I agree okay. that it, it usually means third, but it could also mean third rate, right? Right, or, or something other than primary. Because right. you could definitely use primary figuratively like that and secondary, so yeah. why not use tertiary? Or what about ancillary? Oh, I don't know what I, I don't know exactly what that means. Ancillary is Well, it's um it's sort of of secondary importance or oh, okay. you know, ancillary. It, it's it's a wonderful word. It comes from the Latin ancilla, which means a, a household servant, a feminine servant. A maid, and it's sort of you know the little little ones that are running around but the I, house, but not the main people. But you think in the context you were speaking about, Brian, that that tertiary would work better? Um, I think so. Um, I just um, I guess I, I just wanted to settle the argument, and I guess we were both right. Don't you hate when that happens? Right, that's always a disappointing conclusion, though, isn't it? You kind of <laughs> want to be a hundred percent right until they want in your face. Yeah, I, I think it's okay this time. Was she snobby about it? No, no, she wasn't. She she genuinely had, had never heard the word before, but was convinced that I was using it in the wrong context. Yeah, you're right. I think you're fine. I think you're both fine. I think uh, literally it means third, and, and figuratively it can mean less than, you know, less than important, other than important, not important, unimportant. Great. Well, thank you very much. I, I love the show, by the way. Well, thanks. We loved your oh, question. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs> All right, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Take, Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. The number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Steve calling from Milwaukee. Hi, Steve. How are you doing today? 
Hi there, real good, thanks. I have a question for you. All right, shoot. My grandmother recently passed away, and for some reason, as I was reading the obituary, I noticed the way that her name was presented. It really kind of jumped out at me this time. Uh, her, her name was there, but then in parentheses, it said Nee, N-E-E, with her last name. Now, I spent a lot of time with her when she was alive, and I know that we didn't have any family member that was named Nee. So I guess my question is, what's, what's with the Nee? What does Nee mean? Well, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about your grandmother. Uh, thank you. She was 92 when she passed. She had a, a great life. We'll miss her. We'll miss her, but we have some great memories. And so how did her name appear exactly? What what was her name? How her was name it was, listed in the in the obituary? Her her married name was Sylvia Kahn. And in the obit, it said Sylvia Kahn. And then in parentheses, it had N-E-E. And the N-E-E was, was italicized. Mm-hmm. And then it had her maiden name, which was Rosenfeld. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Sylvia Kahn, Nay Rosenfeld. Right. right. You pronounced it Nay. Is, is it Nay? Yes. Yes, it is. It's from French. And, uh, and, it, and it simply means born in French. Oh. And uh, it's, it's a convention that I think I've only seen in obituaries. Yeah. Um, and it's, or, or like junior league like rosters, so, you know. Right. It's it's sort of a genteel way of saying this is her maiden name. This was her name before she got married. But it's simply a French word that means born. And it's only in obits because they want to give full respect to to the woman? Well, it's a little more than that, I think. They, are ha- they have an eye towards the historical record. And particularly in small towns where these kinds of things are important to the community, where everyone knows everyone, and maybe she wasn't in a small town, but there's a tradition in it nonetheless, they provide this information so people go, oh, yes, that is indeed the same Sylvia that I knew from high school. There, there's her last name. Um, ah. Yes, that's the one, because they might not otherwise know. For people who do genealogical research, and I've done a bit of that myself for my family in the past, it's an incredible boon to us. Because the information is just laid out for you there in print. And one extra name in an obituary can connect you to an entire family tree that you may not have known existed. Sure, I can see how that could happen. So it's it's pretty useful. It it jumped out at me. I had seen it. I never knew to look it up and thought, uh, you guys are the experts. This is where I'm going to for the answer. Well, so you came to the right place, huh? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for calling, Stephen. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. The number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven wayward. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Get ready for our slang quiz, and we'll take more of your calls right here on Away with Words. Support for Away with Words comes from WordSmart, the vocabulary building software. Improving your vocabulary, reading comprehension, and critical thinking skills will increase your chances for success. Learn more online at wordsmart.tv. And from iUniverse, supported self publishing. Is there a book in you? Find out how to publish it at 1 800 Authors or learn more online at iUniverse.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And it's time for Slang This, our puzzle about slang. Today's contestant is Glenn Peters from Portland, Oregon, the city of roses, right? Yes. Welcome, Glenn. Hello, Glenn. Yes, thank you. Glenn, to get past door number one in this challenge, we'd like for you to share your favorite slang expression with us. Do you have one for us? Well, I was thinking of a word that uh, we had used in college where we had... uh, Posted up a comic of Sam and Max. Sam and Max, okay. Yes. And there were uh, the two main characters, a dog and a rabbit, were, t- were saying, let's mock their stumps, talking about a bunch of pirates. And that came <laughs> to be used on our hall to refer to, you know, some people who had made questionable romantic decisions and, you know, and such. <laughs> and then it was sort of associated with anybody who went out looking for, you know, dates and such. And so that would then uh, stumping would then become the, the verb that was associated with that. Hmm. So how would you use stumping in a sentence? Oh, um, you know, we're going to go out to the library and go stumping or something like that. <laughs> I mean, that kind of works, too, because it's like the political stumping where you're out there making a pitch for somebody to vote for you. If you're out there making a pitch, you're pitching woo to a woman, you are kind of, in a way, stumping for her vote. Yeah, I think it was more, you know, looking than wooing, but yes. Oh, I see. It's more about the browsing than the buying. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. All right. 
Glenn, let's move on to your next challenge. Grant is going to present you with a slang term, and then he'll give you three possible examples of how it might be used in a sentence. Only one of those is real, and the other two are just something that he made up. So, Glenn, your task will be to choose which one of those really is a slang term. You got it? Okay. And I will be standing by if you want to puzzle it out with me. Right. All right, here we go. The first clue is FOPO, and it's spelled F-A-U-X hyphen P-O, and F-A-U-X being the French for fake, so FOPO. So the first clue is a fake cop, that's all, no gun, a plastic badge, and a shoulder patch that looks more like a burnt rabbit than an eagle. He's not Popo, he's FOPO. <laughs> and the second one. Don't be fooled by the Fopo Salvation Army clothes and the bedhead of hairdo. Underneath those cheap duds is silk underwear. <laughs> and the third clue, you've never seen so many Harpo Marks lookalikes in one place. The annual Fopo convention in Las Vegas has more Harpo doppelgangers than there are fake Elvises in all of North America. So, Glenn, which is it? <laughs> is a Fopo, A, a security guard, B, a description of someone who thinks looking poor is fashionable, or C, a Harpo Marx lookalike. And it's the second part is spelled P-O? Yeah, just P-O. Hmm. I'm inclined to go with the second one. That seems somehow more more accurate. Yeah, the second one, FOPO, I, I defined it as a, someone who thinks looking poor is fashionable. Yeah, I think the uh, the second one was hmm. trying to trying to seem fashionable about looking poor. It is actually A. It's Ooh. a fake... It's a security guard, and and I kind of gave so much of it away in the first clue that I was, I thought maybe for sure that I'd given too much away, because I, I said at the end he's not popo, he's fopo, and if you knew that popo is a slang word for police, then fopo would make a lot more sense. Ho ho! Uh, I had <laughs> yes. known that. So there we go. So so fopo f a u x hyphen p o is a security guard or. Uh, Rent-a-cop, or also known as turkey bacon, because they're not real bacon. Never mind. All right, here we go. (laughs) The second expression is poll tax, P-O-L-E-T-A-X, poll tax. And the first clue for poll tax is, government officials in Texas are charging a poll tax, five bucks extra just to walk in the door of a strip club. And the second one, when you pick a tent, consider the poll tax. You might get more room in a bigger tent, but you'll have more poles that are heavier to carry and harder to set up. And the third clue. Why the extra charge for bean poles like me? Why should tall, skinny men's clothes cost more than short, fat men's clothes? Is it some kind of pole tax? So which one is it, Glenn? Is it A, a tax levied on patrons of strip clubs? Is it B, the burden of extra tent poles when camping? Or is it C, the extra amount charged for tall men's clothes? As suspicious as it is to have two of the, that are A in a row, I'm inclined to think that it's A because, well, I don't know exactly why I think that. How many times have you watched Showgirls? I have not watched Showgirls. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not that my movie standards are that are that high. I just have <laughs> Huh. So a poll tax would be a tax levied on patrons of strip clubs. That just sounds so outrageous. It's what it is, though. That's the correct answer. You're it right. is indeed. He's right. Hey, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No. In Texas, though, in Texas, they did it kind of as a punitive measure to make it just a little more difficult for these businesses to stay in business. Charge five bucks a head, and maybe fewer people will go, and the businesses will just evaporate. Nice work, Glenn. And for playing slang this, we're going to send you a copy of Grant's book. It's called The Oxford Dictionary of American Political Slang, perfect for this election year. Excellent. Thank you. All right. And if you'd like to play our slang game on the air, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Um, hi. Uh, this is Judy Woodruff. Hey, Judy, where are you calling from? From Indianapolis, Indiana. All right. Well, what's on your mind? Well, I have two questions for you, but I just have to give like a little history, but I can keep it really short. Oh, we love histories. All right. Well, we'll see. I'm from New York, and my husband is from the Midwest, and I love the Midwest, and my husband doesn't. I mean, he loves his job and his 
kids' school and everything. But he's not really very Midwestern-y, even though he's from here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so one day, my car wasn't, it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about cars. Like, I don't know where a piston is or anything. And so I, he was asking me to describe what was wrong with it. And I thought of this phrase, and I remember thinking, man, this is a great phrase. And I said, it has a catch in its get-along. <laughs> and he, who is, and he's usually a very even-tempered kind of guy, had a very bad reaction to that. <laughs> oh, my. But would you break out into a rash? <laughs> well, he just said it was imprecise and uh, vague and not helpful and just generally peeved. And you know when you look back when you're with a mate and you, and you look back on, like, remember when we did this five years ago, how dopey that was, and mm-hmm. laugh? Well, he still doesn't laugh about it. So <laughs> sorry for laughing. I, I was listening to your show before, and I thought, I, I need to know this. Where did I get this from? When did it come along? And do you think it's an evocative colloquialism, or do you think it's imprecise and vague? Judy, I think a catch in its get-along is a wonderfully evocative expression. Thank you. I mean, Judy, I've seen variations of this from time to time. In fact, you may remember on election night 2004, um, Dan Rather, who is always good for, you know, a Texasism, he'll say things like, his lead is as thin as turnip soup. Uh Dan Rather said, I remember this very clearly, um, CBS had, had predicted the wrong winner. And at one point he said, we had a slight hitch in our giddy up. But we corrected that. I mean, it's the same idea. And I, uh, I suspect right. yeah. it's sort of a cowboy kind of expression. A, a hitch back, in your giddy-up. I do know it goes back to the early 1900s. Uh, you can find it in newspapers from the period. I, so to go back to your original questions, let's just shoot these off one by one. Is it an established phrase? Yeah. Yes. But the other thing you said was, is it too vague? And yes. on this point... I think I'm going to have to side with your husband. Oh, I knew you were going to say. Oh, and it's not a guy thing. I know about as much as automobiles is. I can barely tell a Ford from apart from any other make. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, I have a I license, but do I don't drive it that often because I, you know, I take the subway. Right. But the thing is, like, it's a fun, evocative phrase. But I don't know that if you're in the middle of worrying about a multi-thousand-dollar um, piece of machinery right. not performing well, properly, that it's the right thing to say. For the mechanic to figure out, you know, a catch in his now that off. now that you put it in those terms, perhaps that was his. I still don't know why he's still peeved about it, but it was like <laughs> this is a serious thing, and you're using something cute to describe it. Oh. Yeah, that you should be using something of more gravity. Whatever. The engine is misfiring. I like catching your deadline. <laughs> that's true, too. I'm that's true, too. I mean, if you'd, right ta- on. if you'd yeah, have said something you. overly yeah. formal, that would have sounded probably wrong. I, I suspect that maybe you couldn't win at that situation. Yeah. Probably silence would have been the best answer because maybe anything you would have said, he'd have had a reason it bugged him because he was probably just more ticked off that the car wasn't working. Overall, I think you were fine with the phrase. It, you, the words that come out of your mouth are your choice, not his. Okay. Well, Judy, yeah. do you feel better? I feel so much better, and I feel like um, we put this thing to rest. Oh, All right. that's great. Well, it was and fantastic it was to, to hear from you, you and, and uh, th- thanks for giving us a ring. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Grant, you know, it reminds me of what my dad used to say when he was tired. He used to say, my get-up-and-go just got up and went. <laughs> I've heard that one Have before. You? I love that one. Yes. I like get-along, though, as a way of talking about your, 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 your locomotion. ability to ambulate. Yeah. Well, get along over to your phone and give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Larry from Rancho Pinosquitos. Hi, Larry. How you doing? Great. What can we do for you today? Uh, I have a question about an expression that I've heard uh, for most of my life, and it um, it's about uh, people that might mention. Someone wants to have their cake and eat it too. The I've heard this, and you kind of just take it for granted. And it, to me, it kind of is meant about uh, hearing or having something both ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, many years ago, my wife and I were taking a, a class, a night class in humanities, and uh, the professor indicated that 
most people say this expression incorrectly, that should be the opposite, that it really should be that a person wants to eat their cake and have it too. And I thought about that, and it, it seemed to make some sense that uh, uh, that, that might actually make a, a, a better fit for having it both ways. And I just wanted to get your... Uh, you know, your input on this and maybe where it came from and which is the right version. So your professor said that, that eat your cake and have it too is somehow, what, more logical? Yes, because it, if they have their cake, then they can certainly eat it, uh, but then it's gone. Whereas if you eat your cake and still have it, it's, it's kind of having it both ways. You're enjoying the cake, but you, keep the, you, you can still have the cake also. Well, you have it for a little while. 24 hours or so, right? <laughs> but if you eat your cake and have it too, then it, it indicates it's still there. I see. Well, your professor's right in that that was the earlier form of this expression. It goes all the way back to the 16th century, at least. Eat your cake and have it too. And somehow we did flip it around. Um, I'm not exactly sure when that happened, but, you know, it's not the first time that that kind of thing has happened in English. Think of the expression, the proof is in the pudding. Right. Um, originally that was the proof is in the eating of the pudding. The proof is ah. in the pudding doesn't make so much sense. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I could argue that your professor had the original version right, but I suspect that my co-host is going to say, oh, but everybody understands, have your cake and eat it too. Well, don't dismiss that out of hand because that's actually all that really matters here. Uh, anything else is uh, irrelevant nitpicking, right? It's about being understood. <laughs> Right. No, really. I mean, nobody nobody misunderstands you in the least if you say it the other way, right? Well, you take it. I mean, like I said, it's something I've taken for granted. You just you know you hear it so often that um, uh, when you hear it, you absolutely know what it means, and and uh, it's only when he brought it up that I start to actually think about it. Yeah. Well, see, that's the gist of an idiom, and this is why the idioms are best not broken down into the component pieces. They're treated as entities. They're treated all together as one unified expression and not as individual words. Otherwise, you get this kind of incongruity and, you, and it starts to befuddle you and you start to, to ask questions that really are never going to lead you anywhere productive. Right. Well, it led, it, it led Larry to a way with words. I think that's pretty productive. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> but have your cake and eat it too is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. The yeah. other one is fine too and it's not more correct just because it's older. All right, Larry. Well, um, thanks very much for calling. Well, thank you. Right. Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye. Bye. So go to your phone. Call us, 1-877-929-9673, or send us email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Earlier we were talking about dying languages, and when I, when I think about dying languages and efforts to document them, I think of the story of Elizier ben Yehuda. How so? Well, in the 1850s, when Israel was still under the control of the Ottoman Empire, ben Yehuda migrated with his wife to Jerusalem, and he decided that they would speak to each other in Hebrew rather than the languages they had spoken in Russia. Now, the thing is, at the time, Hebrew wasn't the everyday language of anybody, nobody. And it hadn't been for centuries. It was a language of the temple. It was a religious language only and probably hadn't been spoken in the home to talk about things like cooking and family life mm -hmm. for, for m millennia. So he had to coin many of the words that were needed for modern life. And starting with the two of them, and then later with their son Yitzhak, who became the first person to speak modern Hebrew as a first language, it caught on. And by 1948, Israel had 600,000 modern Hebrew speakers, and today it has more than 5 million. That oh is a gosh. language success story. No kidding. And I, and I think of that story when I think about the efforts to teach young people the languages of their grandparents or their parents or their elders. 
They're doing it in Hawaii with Hawaiian, in Oklahoma with the Miami language, in Maine with French, right, right. and a dozen other places in North America. It gives me hope that these languages will survive. Grant, how about if we include links to the story of Ben Yehuda and language revivals on our website? That'd be great. And we welcome your calls to one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. You can ask us about these languages, and we'll have tons of stuff to say on the subject. Grant, another thing that we can talk about sometime is the struggle of ancient languages to incorporate modern concepts. Uh, you, you just sent me an article the other day about Icelandic and how the word for computer in Icelandic, because it's a, it's a very, very old language, it's kind of fossilized, the word for computer is what, numbers which? Yeah, it's really incredible. And they've done that with Latin. I know the Vatican every oh, yeah. couple of years comes out with uh, new words in Latin yeah. for things like hot dog and bikini. Yeah, or hippie, which is conformitatis osor, a, a, hater, <laughs> a hater of conformity. And I think there's a fabulous one for motorcycle that I'm not remembering, but it's something like two-wheeled vehicle driven by fire-bearing juice. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it on the website. It's waywardradio.org slash discussion. That's where you'll find our discussion forum, of course. And you can all Always email us anytime, day or night. Words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty That's our show for this week. But if you have something you want to get off your chest, leave us a phone message anytime. Number is 1-877-929-9673. Or stop by our discussion forum at waywardradio.org. Or you can always email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production assistance from Michael Bagdasian and Dana Polakowski. Away With Words is produced at Studio West in San Diego. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett, inviting you to join us next time, right here on Away With Words. say neither, and I say neither, either, either, neither, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. You like potato, and I like patata. You like tomato. And I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Oh, let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part. And oh, if we ever part, then that might break my heart. So if you like. Pajamas.